So we're into Luke chapter 14. We started uh, Luke chapter 14 last, last week. It's not always easy uh, for a, a pastor to jump into a, a series that another pastor has been preaching for a couple of months now or a couple of years now. Um, but our brother did a wonderful job last week, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Brother Bill, for, for doing that for us. Um, so we're in Luke chapter 14. You all have heard the old saying, I'm sure, that you shouldn't put the cart before the horse. Now, we don't have horses and buggies anymore, but we get the gist. We understand what that means. And, and that is the, the necessity of getting your priorities straight, right? Because if you don't have them straight and you got them backwards, then who's going to pull the carts? Things have to be done in order. I like things done in order. And that is very hard when you have six children. I can tell you that. But I like things to be done in, in order. And sometimes my kids don't like that either. They don't like when daddy marches those orders. They can hardly remember the first one. In these next two weeks, today and, and next week, we're going to continue with Luke chapter 14. And we're going we're gonna to look at the rest of that feast, that dinner banquet that was given by the, by the, by the Pharisee, and it's going to culminate next week as we, we look into the parable of the, of the great banquet. But this is, this is kind of like part one of the, of the, the, great, uh, the great banquet. Uh, next week, we'll talk exclusively about verses 15 through 24. But, but today, and the reason why I say it's like putting the cart before the horse, because what Jesus teaches us today is, is kind of the application of, of what he teaches us about the, the great banquet, those who are, who are invited into the, the great banquet. And, and those who are invited and those who get into this particular banquet, and all this is coming next week, is, is absolutely stunning. It is absolutely stunning and, and scandalous those who would be, those who would be in, invited. But today, this morning, we're going we're gonna to see some of that application. And, and how Jesus goes to the, to the, the, the guests and the, and the hosts and, and speaks, to, speaks to them at those who are at this, this dinner party. Now, whenever Jesus gets together with, the, with these Pharisees and they're having a dinner together, it's always something to be remembered, which is probably why we have it in the scriptures. Because there, it's always something crazy that kind of happens. It's, it's not a group of people that really like each other and, and they're just enjoying good fellowship uh, with, with one another. Last week we saw that the, the Pharisees and the, and, and the lawyers were, were there. And for them, after Jesus spoke, it wasn't looking really good for them. In fact, after that, it was kind of, kind of awkward. Kind of an awkward moment because... Uh, because Jesus was pointing at the Pharisees and exposing their hypocrisy and their, their over and over again of, of sin, of, of, uh, of this legalistic religion that was excluding everybody, everybody else. And so this was an awkward dinner. And I bet that that Pharisee, the host, is, is kind of regretting at this moment that they invited Jesus and that he was the one that drew the short straw to be the one to trap Jesus at his house. But there's one who's not regretting, who's not regretting why he was there. 
and that is Jesus. Jesus walked right into their trap because he wanted to. He walked right into their trap. They tried to catch him. He wasn't afraid at all. And he does exactly what they want him to do, but he doesn't matter to him. He heals the, the guy. And he heals the guy that obviously is the one thing that isn't like the others. Take really close note of that, because Jesus addresses that today. Snap, the trap is sprung, but it doesn't hit Jesus. And he goes on the offensive and asks them questions. What a party, huh? What a party. And, and they haven't even started to eat yet. It's getting good. So the setting. The setting is, is, is quite important for us when we understand what Jesus teaches us this morning. The dinner party on the Sabbath at the Pharisee's house. And, you know, throughout the, the Gospel of Luke, we've, we've seen this a couple different times now, throughout our journey throughout Luke's Gospel, um, we've been reminded over and over again that some of the most important conversations, some of the most important healings and teachings and, and confrontations and evangelism, and sometimes all at the same time, all revolved around a meal. That they all revolved around a meal. Think about that for a moment. Can you list all those, all those things that we've seen so far? Peter's mother-in-law was healed on the Sabbath at her house, and then she served them. Levi, the new disciple who was, who was once a tax collector, finds new life in Christ, and Jesus calls him to be a, a disciple and, and to follow him. And so Levi's natural expression of his love for Jesus is to throw a party for Jesus. And Jesus shows up, and, and Levi invites all of the rest of his mob buddies to show up and be with him. And Jesus just parties with them. They celebrate, and the Pharisees are stunned that Jesus is eating with them. And then there was the woman of the night that busted into the dinner party at another Pharisee's house and was forgiven of her sin, who showed Jesus great humility and brokenness as she washed his, his feet and anointed his feet with her tears. And, and how about the feeding of the 5,000? I mean, there's lots of food going on there, lots of meals going on there. And the correction of Martha at her house when she wanted her sister to help her. But Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good thing. And, and we're only halfway through the Gospel of Luke. There's so many instances, so many things are happen around food. And the reason is, Matthew tells us, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He came eating and drinking. And again, this whole situation and all that happens around here in chapter 14 from verse 1 all the way to verse uh, 24 is all surrounded by a meal, a dinner, a banquet, a feast. And then Jesus' parables here, his lessons of etiquette, are about sharing a meal and who to share a meal with. But more important than that is how the kingdom of God works. More important than that is how the kingdom of God works. Let's look at the text, starting in verse 7. 
he now told a parable to those who were invited. When, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited, say to someone to a wedding feast, to, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give this place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the, the blind, and you will, be, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And this is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see this inerrant, inspired word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. I really like what verse 7 does for us. And it's, it's kind of Luke's way of giving us vivid detail, a, a picture in a sense of what's, what's really going on, what's happening at this party. Now, again, we say this a lot, context helps us understand what's going on as well, even deeper. In, in chapter 13, when, when Jesus spoke about the narrow door, when he spoke about the narrow door, and he, he talked about how there, there's going to be judgment, and that what that judgment will look like will actually be a, a lack of hospitality. You're not going to be let in. You're going to be left outside knocking and weeping and, and gnashing of teeth turning away others, turning away others and welcoming in some. And those others are, are the outsiders, right? Those who are welcomed in are outsiders from the east and the west and the north and the south, the undeserved foreigners. And, and what will they be doing? What will they be doing when they're inside of, the, inside of the door? What are they doing? Verse 29 tells us, it reminds us again. It says, they will be reclining at the table of the kingdom of God. They'll be eating, feasting, verse 30. And the last will be first, and the first will be last. Sounds a lot, a lot alike what Jesus just said to us, doesn't it? So think about it. So here's the picture that, that, that Luke is painting for us. Jesus just said these particular things at, at some point, right? This is teaching that he has given at some point, and, 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 and he's pleading with them for their repentance, He's telling them this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. This is the, those who are going to be in, and these are those who are going to be like. And, and then here's Jesus at this dinner party, watching all that is going on, even after the altercation in verses 1 through 6. He's watching all that's going on here. I don't think he was very shocked. And this meal is so revealing 
It is so revealing, especially about the Pharisees and, and all of those who were invited. You see, if you want to see a, a religious person's vision for life, right? If you want to see a, a, a religious person's vision for life, just as Jesus did, show up to one of their meals. Show up to one of, one of their meals. And, and at this meal, yeah, they are having a big time. They have the, the best of food, the biggest of tables, and the most probably the most beautiful of houses. And yet here on the Sabbath, there's no restoration. There's, there's no restoration. There's no humility or love for one another and serving of others, but only self. There's, there here, here there is only jockeying for position and honor and notoriety. And, and see again who is invited, the important people. And see who's not invited, the poor people, the blind people, the lame people. These people were excluded unless you could be used by them to trap Jesus. This was the kind of party this was. Even though these people were invited, it's not very inviting at all. And what we see Jesus showing us here is that in our meals, they can be a visual visual representation of our hearts. A visual representation of our hearts. Because if our hearts are more concerned with position and honor and status and the approval of others, then our dining etiquette and who is invited will be reflecting our hearts. And, 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 and in those things, that expresses the, the vision that we have of the kingdom of God. The vision for the kingdom for the Pharisees was small. It was limited. It was based upon self, and it was based upon what other peoples can do for them. And if we are not careful, we could be caught up in the same kinds of traps. Because we live in a society, we live in a culture, we live in a Christian culture that designs everything around gratifying your flesh, gratifying your emotional needs, gratifying your flesh. And this includes very popular versions of Christianity. And these things can sneak into our hearts and they can sneak into our minds and and make us believe lies that these are the things that we desire. That church, namely, is about me. My meals are about me. And so this is what Jesus reveals at this party. The behavior of the their, their behavior shows the state of their hearts. So he speaks to the guests. And he speaks to the hosts. And he talks to them about their humility. And he talks about how their, their lack of generosity. And how they invite people and who they invite. And I think those are two very important lessons for us. Of how we are to go humbly and to invite generously. Go humbly and invite generously. So looking back again at verse 7, that, that vivid picture that's kind of painted for us here. You can, you can literally see the situation played out. And, and in some sense, and if, if you could really kind of get to that point, it's kind of one of those things that makes you throw up in your mouth. It's kind of disgusting. To me, and forgive me if you like them or not, but it's kind of like watching the award shows on Sunday nights that are happening this time of the year. 
That's what it feels like. That's what's watch, what I'm watching. I'll give you another example. If you ever flown a, in a commercial flight, and, and you know that moment when the when the plane lands and and it, you know the, it lands and and you're starting to taxi to the terminal, and and, and inevitably it always comes on the, the intercom. Please remain seated until the captain has turned off the seatbelt light, right? And without a doubt, there are always those five or six or ten people that unbuckle their seatbelts, if they even had them on in the first place, and they stand up and they start pulling their bags as, we're tax as they're, you know, you're taxing to the terminal. They're getting their luggage and they're fumbling and stumbling because guess what? The plane is still moving. Why? Why did they do that? You know, some might have a good reason. They're just trying to get to their connecting flight. But for most, is they want to be first. They want to be first off, off of the airplane. They, they don't think that they should have to wait on anyone else. Simply selfishness. And their behavior shows that I am the most important person in my life. And yours, by the way. That's what's happening here. This is what Jesus is watching amongst these very religious and devout men. That's the condition of their heart. And it's not just a, a Pharisee thing. And, and here the Son of God is watching this charade of, of sin, this disgusting, proper, rich, righteous and religious people do this very thing. Brothers and sisters, we just to stop for a moment, that there are a lot of things that takes place within Christianity and within churches that are sin, that are wickedness. And we, we have this tendency to overlook them because they seem culturally appropriate. And they even sometimes may have spiritual reasons to them. But just the same, it's just plain selfishness. And the one thing that's blatantly clear here is Jesus is standing there and he's seeing the whole thing. He's watching the whole thing. Now, in his holiness and righteousness, he could just struck all of them dead. But he doesn't. Again, we're reminded back to chapter 13 where Jesus shows his compassion. And instead of striking them dead, he shows compassion and teaches them. You know, it's kind of unfortunate that in our fast-paced life, and I, shall, I dare to say our shallow culture at times, we've, we've lost the art of, the, the art of formal dining. Uh, and even the, the idea of sitting together and sitting down together and sharing a meal with basic manners and common courtesy and edifying uh, conversation, uh, everything is so casual at best, Right? Everything is so casual, and it's kind of, it really saddens me when, when I go out to eat and I see other families who hardly interact with one another, or, or even with their server because they're, all of them, staring at their phones. Meals used to be very important times of the day, and, and they still should be. It's a, it's a shared time Together In the ancient world, banquets were often uh, occasions that, that people then could publicly kind of come together. And, and for them, it was to kind of display, you know, who they were in, in society, how, how uppity they were and how good they were and how wealthy they were and how, many, how connected they were. And this is what was done. 
And the host would sit, you know, those closer to the front who was the most important, who was the most affluent, or who's going to get me the the right license and approval at this time that I need. That's how they would sit them. And so, of course, nobody wanted to sit in the back. Everyone wanted to sit close to the front. And so at this, this particular gathering, there's, there's no assigned seats, so it's a free-for-all. Right? It's, like, uh, it's like musical chairs, right? The music's going, and they're all trying to get their seats. They're, they're putting their, their, uh, their jackets down. They're calling seat checks. They're calling dibs, whatever it takes. And Jesus' response is this parable that actually sounds a lot like social etiquette, but he gives the situation of a wedding. It's a wedding, and it's, a, it's actually kind of quoted from what we read to this, this morning in Proverbs. He tells them of this party of, of how this important person shows up after everybody has seated. And after this important person uh, shows up, you, you can't put him at the kitty table. So, so what do you do? You, you go to the next person up in, the, up in the guest, and you ask them to get up and go to the kitty table, because you don't ask everybody else to shift down. So what Jesus is saying to us is you do not want to be that guy. You don't want to be the, the moron who goes to the wedding reception and sits at the head table so that someone, the father, you know, the father of the bride has to come up and say, dude, you got to move. That's where my daughter's going to sit. Right? You, you don't want to be that guy. And so Jesus' advice here is to take the lowest place so that if by chance there's room, you, they might come to you and move you up and you'll be honored and not shamed. Great advice, Jesus. Thank you. Now, what's obvious, what's also obvious here, is that Jesus isn't just giving us good social etiquette and advice, is he? he he's not making sure that his disciples will always have good seats at the dinners. And that's something to be said. Think about that. He's not saying, boys, this is how you manipulate the system. This is how you get the honor you deserve, and even if you don't deserve it, this is how you get it. Jesus is not teaching them how to stage fake humility, making them a hypocrite or more of a hypocrite. Rather, he was telling them of an eternal spiritual truth that will be evident in the end, that when everything is made right, because of the the punchline of verse 11, the axiom, the truth that he tells us here in verse 11 that points to the, the, when, the when all things will be made right. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, what's is amazing here is, is Jesus' mom says this. Mary says this. In, in chapter 1, she says this. She says, you have brought down the mighty from their thrones and you've exalted those of humble estate. He's quoting his mom in some sense. And this is what God does. This is what God does in Christ Jesus. This is the work of God. And this is what Jesus is showing to us is the economy of the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God will be like. The humbled will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. This is the order And what God does is he turns the whole world upside down. God's choice of the poor, the insignificant Mary, the disciples, the etc. 
are all signs of what's coming. And when he reverses the worldly order, Jesus is telling us here that we want to make sure that we are on the other side, the underside, that the great reversal is coming. And see, we may be tempted uh, to be anxious. We may not be tempted to be, of, of how anx- be anxious about where we sit when we go to dinner parties or when we go to a friend's house or, or, or if we're eating with coworkers or whatever it may be. And even when we look at texts like this, sometimes we're even we're, we're tempted to, to, to look down on these guys who were fighting for position and public recognition. But don't we have our own ways of postulating and positioning and manipulating to get ourselves our, our likes and retweets and follows on social media or maybe... The, the subtle way we believe our appearance or job title or car or neighbor or neighborhood or where our kids go to school will put us into a social pecking order. Those things are not inherently sinful. But hear me on this. When our hearts crave honor, when our hearts crave the honor and recognition of others, that's when we run into this spiritual danger. This is when we run into danger. We all have this desire to be noticed and to be accepted and and liked by others. When we come into a church, we want people to recognize us and say hello and make us feel welcome. And and those are good things, and that should be reciprocated in in some way. So we all have this desire to be noticed and accepted and liked by others. But yet it's when we create ways to get that. We make that the number one priority of our hearts. Preachers are not immune to this either. We covet the approval and the adulation of others. And we are devastated on Sunday afternoons when it's not given or withheld. I heard this quote this week, and may this help us understand more. God does not call us to remove covetousness. And that is the the coveting of the desire of the approval of others. That's how I'm kind of using it, covetousness by renouncing the desire of covetousness, he calls us to pursue it in the only place it can be fulfilled. And that is in God himself. So let me read that again. God does not remove covetousness by renouncing desire. You see, the desire that we have to be approved and to be liked and to be wanted and to be honored is natural. But it's meant to be fulfilled in what? It's meant to be fulfilled in God himself. By finding our meaning, our self-worth, our identity, not in the approval of others, but in the grace of God through Jesus' sacrificial love. That's where we find our approval. That's where we find our self-worth. That's where we find our identity. And when we're captivated by that, when we're captivated by God's love, by the God's character in sending his son to save you, that's when we will be freed. That's the whole point of the gospel. And then in that produces the humility that's required. The humility to require to take that lower seat. To sit back and be humbled. Because of the gospel. Because of what we've been encountered with and changed and transformed by. And I look forward to showing you more of that next week in the great banquet. 
The second one is we invite generously. So first was go humbly, but now he turns to the, to the host of the party, the Pharisee, and he teaches how to invite generously. Again, look, look at what Jesus tells him. Notice, notice what he tells them. He, he tells them who not to invite, and he tells them who to invite. The great reversal of the kingdom of God, again. This isn't the norm. It's, it's not what we would normally do. And, and, and understand this, he's, he's not discouraging normal hospitality. And, and certainly we don't want to use this as excuse to never share meals with each other, with other church members. But what verse 12 is saying, that when all of our meals are only limited to the, to the natural guest list of friends and family and people that might get us ahead, then when it, come, it becomes this endless round of giving and getting. It's also sort of a, a warning to be careful. They're careful not to always plan our guest list based upon what other people can do for us. But instead, verse 13, invite those who will not and cannot help you one bit. The way forward is the exact opposite of what one would normally to expect, isn't it? Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Why? Because you will be blessed. Not because they will repay the favor, but in the resurrection of the just. That's the eternal mindset. That's the eternal mindset of the kingdom. That our rewards are not received here on earth, but our reward is received in the resurrection. And so here, the payoff in being a generous host is not to be received now, but later. But why would a host's generosity be be so important to direct toward those who can't repay? You again remember who Jesus sought out to eat meals with? And the reason why Jesus sought to eat meals with the people that he did is because Jesus knew that meals enact mission. Meals enact mission. Just to look ahead just a little bit to Luke chapter 19, one of my most favorite stories of all of the scriptures It's about the scumbag Zacchaeus, and he was. Probably most well-known for being short in a kiddie song, which is a wonderful song, which it desperately needs a verse too, by the way. As a Jew himself, he was a tax collector, which means he worked for Rome. And when he worked for Rome, he became wealthy by extorting money from those he was collecting taxes from. He would keep more than what was owed, and he kept the difference for himself. He loved money. He loved his position. He loved his power. But he gave up a lot to have that position, didn't he? He gave up all of his social cred with other Jews. And at the same time, he made himself an enemy 
of God. This is the kind of guy that was not invited to those dinner parties. He paid a high price for the love of money and stuff. But yet after Jesus engaged him, what happened? Zacchaeus became a completely changed man. He repents unlike anyone we have seen so far, except for maybe Levi. He repays all of those who he stole from four times the amount. That's a pretty good investment. And gives away half of his money to the poor. And and here's the neat part of the story. And, And I want you to see, Jesus went to his house to eat with him, with a guy that no one else wanted to eat with and with no one else wanted anything to do with. And Zacchaeus was liberated from his enslaving greed. And and more importantly, he was forgiven by God because meals enact mission, because they can enact grace. Now, we don't know what was said over the meal. We don't know exactly the the words that Jesus might have said, but the invitation expresses God's grace. And it was God's grace that transformed Zacchaeus' heart. The invitation of Jesus, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus, and I'm eating at your place. That's the grace of God. And it's enacted in the meal. Jesus welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And the just God of the universe will do that in the eternal banquet. Undeserved sinners will be welcomed in. He humbles the self-righteous and the self-important, but he, but he welcomes the humble and the marginalized. Jesus' ministry is a picture of the great reversal on the final day. And brothers and sisters, the makeup of our Christian community now is to be a powerful testimony to the great reversal that is coming to all people, to the rich and the poor. Who we eat with says a lot about what we believe about the gospel and the kingdom of God and the vision that we have for the kingdom of God. This is the new ethic of grace. Not reprocity. Not payback, but grace. So countercultural. So countercultural. And we can live this new ethic in the midst of such revolving selfishness in our culture. This new grace and mission collapses the distance between the rich and the poor, the insider and the outsider, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They all represent the marginalized, the powerless, and the vulnerable. In other places in the scriptures, they're called the orphans and the widows. And soon in Luke 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 1, they're called the tax collectors and sinners. Brothers and sisters, our attitude toward those on the fringes and the outcasts shapes by our experience, shapes our experience by the grace of God to us. How we treat them, our attitude toward them is shaped by the experience of God's grace toward us. If God has welcomed us into his party, to his banquet, then we too welcome the poor to our parties. This is why Jesus doesn't keep distance from people like Zacchaeus or the prostitutes or the unclean. 
And by the way, it's why Jesus didn't keep distance from the Pharisees who were wicked and broken and sinful as they were, but completely blind. And when we, when we sit down to eat with someone, not just buy them a meal, right? Not just, not just buy them a meal or give money to those things or serve soup, but sit down with them. Meet, dine with them. Get on their equal level. Share with them the affirm and affirming one another that they are equals. Don't just tell them that they are sinners. You say, I am a sinner, but yet God saved me. That's what meals can do. That's how a meal can enact grace. And when we decide to open up our homes, how much more do our meals enact grace? You know, as a church, we, we eat together once a month, and it's a wonderful time. I love it. It's such a good thing for us. But what would happen if each of our families, we made the decision to open up our homes one more time each month to a neighbor, to a friend, to an unbeliever, to someone we know at work, to a college student, not to preach to them a sermon, but just to enact a meal of grace, a meal to, to get to know them, to pray for them, and yes, hopefully share the gospel with them just one more time a month. To prioritize that one more time. And, and maybe even a way to make it easier is when you, when you have that time and you invite them people over, maybe in, invite another couple from the church to come join you. That might help. And then you, you share. Like, and then when they have someone, you go over to their house. You make the promise to go theirs. You can join with them. If, if you eat three meals a day, that's 21 meals a week or 21 opportunities for mission with a mission or with community of our church without adding anything to your schedule. And these meals will start to add up, won't they? Relationships will start to build up. The gospel of grace will begin, begin to be more and more evident in each other's lives and then to others. Our meals enact mission. They show the vision that we have for the kingdom of God. And do they match the vision that Jesus has of the kingdom of God? And as we close, Jesus is revealing something deep inside of us, this, this pride. We talked a little bit about that. A pride that has in, inflated this sense of personal worth. And we see that in the, in, in the people at the party who think other people should honor them. But also that, that same pride is seen in fear. It's seeing in fear that not others will share in the same inflated opinion that we have for ourselves, i.e., I'm going to invite people who repay me, who will repay me and return the, the dinner party favor. And you see, this is where we are left. This is where we are left. And I, and I look forward to sharing with you next week the gospel that, that is in the, the great banquet because those who are invited to the banquet are those who are completely unworthy. And in fact, they are the exact same people that Jesus says we should invite to our homes, that we should have meals with and share time with. But it's right here right there in our hearts where the gospel will sever those two roots of pride. Those two roots of pride of always wanting to be honored and the fear of not being honored. And when the gospel severs that 
rude. We will then be left free. We've been left free to find our value and worth in God's love and in God's grace because our salvation is not based at all on any of our merit or our righteousness or our religious devotion. But it is only by God's grace and mercy. I hate to leave you there, but at least it gives us something to anticipate next week. And you can read on, and we'll unpack the rest of the dinner party next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for showing us how to live in the kingdom, to be humble, to invite, to invite generously. And we help move our hearts and our minds in that direction. In Christ's name, amen.